Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The BFA dance program at the Peabody Conservatory of the John Hopkins University prepares students to be at the forefront of dance innovation through performance, choreographic and critical, historical, and theoretical exploration. Studying dance at John Hopkins, one of the world's premier research institutions, gives students the opportunity to make connections between dance, science, technology, and the humanities. Peabody students take courses in modern dance, African expressions, ballet, somatic approaches to movements, choreography, and dance as social justice. Perform in a pre-professional student dance company and collaborate with world-renowned guest artists. From the first year, students have the opportunity to choreograph their own pieces. At Peabody, we welcome a broad range of creative voices and prepare student artists for success in the real world. Submit your application by December 1st. Learn more at peabody.jhu.edu slash dancebfa. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. This week on Conversations on Dance, we are joined by Vicky Sahoyas, former New York City ballet dancer and repetitor with the Balanchine Trust. Vicky takes us on a journey through her experiences working with Balanchine from her childhood to her professional career, how she became a repetitor, and what it is like working with companies who have never previously danced Balanchine's work. Vicky, we're so glad to finally get you on. We've tried a few times. We had issues with both of us being abroad and then me not understanding how time zones work. (laughs) (laughs) They were funny. Internet issues, but we're here here now. We're all together. We're all together. And we have so much to talk about. So, but um, before we we start to jump all over the place with our our thoughts on, you know, where where ballet stands today and what the new ballet lit is like and, you know, all of that that we've already been talking about before we started recording. Um, Let's hear, we want to hear your personal story. So we just want to start at the beginning and hear about how you first got dropped into ballet to begin with. Dropped into the ballet, like just like a story. Drops Vicky down (laughs) into Lincoln Center. It's so simple. Well, I was one of those kids that dances around the house. My grandmother would put on Tchaikovsky music and you couldn't keep me down. And I would have scarves and stories. And it was, you know, Swan Lake, Sleeping Beauty. I just danced around the house. 
And at age five, I was put into a creative dance class. By the way, I grew up in the Bronx of New York. So uh, the creative dance class was fun. The teacher suggested to my mother that I audition for School of American Ballet downtown, which means Manhattan. When you're in the Bronx, Manhattan is the city or downtown. Mm -hmm. So when I was seven, I was brought to the old school on 83rd and Broadway. And we all had black leotards and a number pinned on the front of us. And I I was seven. So I, I felt like it was hundreds of girls in this huge studio. Mm-hmm. Studio one was enormous. And then people would be taken to the next studio in groups of 12 or whatever. Um, and waiting there was very scary because all these girls were practicing their splits and jumps and turns and um, things I couldn't do. Cartwheels. I thought I would be asked to do a cartwheel. I was very scared about the whole <laughs> experience. But then when it was my turn to go in the other studio, it was Tumkovsky, one of Balanchine's wonderful Russians that he brought over. And we'll talk more about his team of wonderful international teachers. Um, She just wanted to see feet and legs. And we weren't, our legs weren't hiked up to our ear, just hip level, as I recall, just front and side, just to see some basic rotation. But most importantly, of course, was musicality. And that was a little skipping step from the corner to live music. And we had to show we knew how to keep rhythm. Otherwise, I don't know if you teach ballet, but it's really hard to teach that. Yeah. Yeah. Very rough. Very rough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know if you've ever had a seven-year-old that doesn't understand, it's, it's it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you either have it or you don't. So anyway, I got in and then first division, second division, and you don't automatically get promoted. You might know this at SAB. You get a letter in the mail inviting you for the next level. And I loved it. It was once a week, then twice a week. And and I loved coming into the city. It was very exciting to be in a, you know, a vibrant, you know, so different than the Bronx. Just looking out the window of the car, I could see that people are walking purposefully and they have some something they're going to do and they're dressed nice. And even late at night, things are open and alive and, and it was very buzzy. And mm-hmm. I found it very exciting. But more exciting was getting asked to be in the ballets, the Nutcracker. And Midsummer Night's Dream and Harlequinade. Balanchine used lots of children. Um, the legend is because each child has a mother and a father and a neighbor and an aunt and cousins, and they buy tickets. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> which, of course, happens. But he just loved to work with the kids. He was so warm and kind and and patient. He would spend lots of time with us. So it was fun to be in the Nutcracker. It was um First year, I was in party scene in Paul Chanel as a girl. And the following year, I was a boy because the numbers were low of boys. So I mm-hmm. had my hair tucked up into a brown velvet beret. Um, and so I was in party scene. And it's like a family. You're, you have a mother and a father. And you dressed in these old world costumes. And, and everyone's kind. And at Christmas, everyone gives gifts. Mm-hmm. And um, I might have told you this when I was uh, in the boys parts um, as a son of Alfonso Keita, who is a partner of Willie Berman. Mm-hmm. And they adopted me. I was their son. And they gave me a name, Herman. <laughs> <laughs> I was Herman. Yes. 
Christmas gifts were exchanged. And years later, I would go to Steps and Willie still called me Herman <laughs> as an adult woman. I love, I love it. It's so good. I love it too. It, it's just like we were all part of a family. And and of course, I decided these wonderful people, I want to be one of them. I want to, you're, I mean, you're like 10 years old, 11, and you get to wear makeup. You get to wear these fantastic costumes. Mm-hmm. You get to perform to live music every night. You miss school. You get paid. <laughs> I mean, what what's wrong with that? What's not this, to like. Yeah. This is what I want to do when I grow up. So I made that, you know, very, I became very focused and, um, I think I had wonderful teachers that encouraged me. Um, You don't know if you're going to get into the New York City Ballet. There's no guarantee. And there's a lot of, there are many forces suggesting you do something smart. (laughs) Well, well, go ahead, Rebecca. No, no, I just, when I hear about... um, from you guys who were at SAB when you were little and working with Balanchine. I just always want to know what, how you were aware of him. Like, what did you know about him? Of course, he's like this force to be reckoned with, but you don't really realize that yet as a kid. So like, what was your mindset when you were around him at that age? So of course not. And even before being on stage, he was a presence at the school. He would be, you would turn from the right side to the left and you'd see this little man dart out the door. (laughs) He was always watching, just Mm -hmm. checking in on us. Um, So we knew that. And you would go in the, I mean, he was with us. You'd get in the elevator with him. And when you get out, someone would nudge you and go, do you know who that was? (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, Mr. B. (laughs) (laughs) Some guy. (laughs) But it doesn't occur to you, like the, the enormity of like the, world he has created and you're part of you just there's that man and he's um he's very nice he would nod he had this very cordial manner very gracious um and uh acknowledge everyone he wasn't um standoffish and he was um you know when he was working with the dancers the children he would physically take you and move you he would touch he would like i would like you and you together here dear you need to be over here he'd line you up he'd He'd work with us, very hands-on, literally, which sort of connects you. I don't think people can do that now. But at the time, it was like, this is real. This is, you know, mm-hmm. he was fond of you. He was, mm-hmm. he didn't like grab you and pull you around. He was like, he would have his hand on your shoulder in a comforting way. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a beautiful shot of him with Judy Fugate for Don Quixote, mm-hmm. where she's on the book. She's this little, oh, he was just so kind. And, he, you know, he just loved playing with the children. So we knew who he was. He was at the school. Sometimes he would be talking to our teachers. So we had all these wonderful teachers like Danilova and Dubrovska, former ballerinas in Russia. And it was an international crew, really diverse. We had uh, two French, the Brianskis, Oleg and Mireille Briansky. They were sort of the essence of French. We had Muriel Stewart, who was um, a student of Pavlova. So she was very... Um, expressive upper body and you're there and mm-hmm. um, and and of course Stanley Williams mm-hmm. which brought but, us yeah go ahead right no I, I was just gonna say was, was there a certain point where you start to feel um where the relationship with Balanchine as um uh, you know like this sort of behemoth of dance changes like when you're young you maybe don't understand and he's friendly and it's like 
um, you know, it feels natural. But then as you're getting older, you start to feel a level of pressure and like a, a need to step up a little bit. When do you get scared? <laughs> so it wasn't fear or pressure. It was just turning on the hyperfocus, mm-hmm. like just showing up ready for class. And for me, that became difficult traveling on the subway and bus, bus, subway, subway, bus, mm. dark in the winter, um, doing my homework on the subway, wow. feeling tired. And at one point you have three classes a day. You've got the 1030, the 230 and the 530. And you have to push yourself. This is a mm-hmm. lot for a 13, 14 year old to say, I'm showing up. My tights will be clean because I rinsed them out in the sink the night before. My point shoes are sewn. You know, you just pull it together or you don't. Mm-hmm. And I did. I was just, and then we got to see the company. We would sneak in and watch the ballets. And that seals the deal. Right. You know, you just, yeah, what were ahead. some of those moments then like, when, like watching the ballets? What what were some like pivotal revelatory performances that you saw? Like maybe particular dances, dancers yeah. or or specific ballets that made you be like, wow, I really know what I want. Um, well, there were dancers that were really nice to us. You'd have like older sisters like Renee Stopinol. She was really sweet. And some of them would give you point shoes and some of them. Mm would help you with your hair. So you already feel like you're part of this family. And then I remember I saw dances at a gathering. This mm-hmm. was like 16 and I had I was blown away. And it was Jerry, but it was still the dancers that you've been watching and who are nice to you at the school and they come and take Stanley's class and stand next to you at the bar and then you see them on stage doing phenomenal interesting exciting things to wonderful music. And you're like, Oh my God, my body wants to do that so badly, so badly, please, please. So it wasn't fear. It was absolute hyper-focus. And I was shy. I was not pushy. Um, I was very appreciative when Stanley made me a principal in a workshop uh, performance partnered with Victor Barbie. I was La Sylphide. You know, you start to get cast and you start to get um, subtle little messages from the teachers that you're in the running, mm-hmm. you know? right? You know, like you you've you've experienced this, like lines come forward, Vicky. You know, like uh-huh. right <laughs> <I> <laughs> here uh-huh. and there. You're always looking for those little breadcrumbs, right? They feed you. You're you're yeah. thirsty for that. You know, the lingering gaze and the the you know no, there weren't favorites at SAP but you know there were and some people were amazing you'd be in class with like Heather Watts and Kelsey mm-hmm. Kirkland and like oh my gosh okay 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 you know they're good um you know <laughs> <laughs> that's a perfect tondu i've never seen anything like it you know but you try you aspire you and you actually improve with this kind of team training right. and coaching you you suddenly you nail double pirouettes with Stanley just working on pirouettes for a half hour, you just, yeah, you're on it and you'll never fall off a pirouette again. You just, <laughs> you know, it's, it's training. It's proper right. training. 
who were we talking to Michael recently about like some of Stanley's corrections? Who was this? I'm trying to remember. Oh, yeah. But it was just and like, like a, he would just say like elbow or something, right? Like it just was like Vicky. We, it was you know, when we tried. <laughs> was it when we tried? Like, oh, maybe yeah, that's yeah, yeah. it was you. It was that lady yeah. over in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was the time that we tried to record, but the audio or our internet connection was bad. But see, look, I was, was listening buffering. and I cared. <laughs> I just forgot. He was you. buffering. So we could start. Yeah. So Stanley had these cryptic messages and mm-hmm. it's legend for this. We, we still talk about it. I was just in Copenhagen and watched a program over there. Um, and we were talking, you know, he would say elbow or he would just say toe, but it wasn't random and abstract. It was part of a whole package message of musicality, accuracy, impetus, focus, and then it would apply to everything. And mm-hmm. he had that magnificent pianist, Lynn Stanford, um, who they were on another level talking to each other up here and, you know, in the metasphere. Um, and Lynn would come in, no sheet music, sometimes straight from the disco. <laughs> and Stanley would slowly walk through and just toe mm. and nod, toe. And that applied to your fondue timing. It applied to take off for a pirouette. It applied for a développé. That you hold mm. and toe. Such a good correction. Ugh, I love it's it. so simple. It, it, yeah. It's 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 like um, I don't know. It's like when you train a dog. Stay <laughs> <laughs> just like one word. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. The message is just conveyed. It's a it's a prompt. <laughs> yes, it was beautiful to work with Stanley and all these teachers yeah. and. Yeah. So, so I did get in, I got into the company. He took three girls the year I got in 71, Deborah Austin and Penny Duddleston, the six foot tall, um, blonde, long hair from Utah. She was cast in a lot of exotica roles. You know, Mm -hmm. she came from a Mormon background and now she's wearing bikinis on stage with, (laughs) (laughs) um, and the ballet I was first in was called Pam Tigga. And that is, um, it stands for Pan Am Makes the Going Great. And Pan Am was an airline. And that was a jingle that was on television. And this was a total disaster ballet, but I was in it and it was fun. It was crazy. (laughs) I mean, that's it. Balanchine did. Oh my God. (laughs) It's the most legendary, I guess, flop of Balanchine's career. People talk about all the time. Nobody talks about his flops. There are flops. This was... (laughs) I don't know if they had a sponsorship deal with Pan Am or were hoping for one, but we had stewardesses, we had um, fringed, I remember Karin, like hippies. Right. Um, And I'm learning from this book that this was a very crazy era. Like Balanchine was having to grapple with hippies and drugs and rock and roll. And we were protesting the Vietnam War and he didn't like that. He, you know, he didn't like to see his ballerinas. We, we did a moratorium on the plaza and we were lying down. I don't remember the purpose of that, but it was numbers to show um, that we opposed the war. And he walked to the theater and didn't like seeing his ballerinas lying down on the floor, on the ground out there. And he said something about the studio is a sacred space. And what we do in here is different. You know, that was his feeling. We Mm -hmm. must separate that and that 
But Pam Tiga was, oh, there were Lucite suitcases, which at the end we had to run, rush to the wings and grab these Lucite suitcases and pile them into a huge mound in the middle of the stage. And then the jingle would come on and we did something coming forward, sort of like four T's at the end, but it was not in the same league as four T's. Garbage. (laughs) (laughs) It was a throwaway, never to return. But we, you know, if you look on the website of the City Ballet, there are so many ballets, a lot of them I've never heard of, never seen, you know, they exist, Mm -hmm. but they're not asked back. You're not setting that ballet now in your role (laughs) as repetitor. (laughs) I mean, the the legend with with Pam Tig is that that basic, that you know, he, he was watching the last show of it or something. It was like next year, Stravinsky. And that was what like, then they did the Stravinsky festival was 72 right after. So it was exactly. sort of like one thing leading to the, of course, like That's the so pinnacle good. of his genius. Exactly. And that was a trip. I mean, we were nonstop, nonstop working, working, working. I don't remember feeling tired. I remember feeling like, Oh, this is so, so exciting. And you picked up on the vibe, like, you know, and are you in main hall? I think we are. And, and and the music and counting it and the crazy steps. You just were trained in classical ballet and now you're doing like folk dance on point and stamping and thumbs and weird, weird gestures and mm. weird counting and then him creating. He just, he would be like, hmm, what can you do here, dear? Can you? And he would suggest something. And the way it worked is you would just take that and run with it, like do that. Yeah, that, but more this. And then you take that and you'd mold it. And suddenly eight counts are filled of your, your little dance or everybody do what she just did. Or, you know, it was crazy. Hmm. What, what did you dance in the Stravinsky Festival? Well, I was in violin. Mm-hmm cast and I was in symphony and three movements yes one of our faves <laughs> and we we did a lot of singing I, I I tell this a lot when I stage ballets like serenade everyone loves to count everything you know the other ballet mistresses they love to and I understand that's helpful you know organize you move on four or something but we used to sing a lot mm. we used okay to- I want to dig into this for a second because for our listeners who aren't familiar with symphony and three the concert well any Stravinsky right but the counts are very complicated and we do like you're saying you know there's a six and then an eight and then there's a random three or you know like we yeah. kind of make sense of the music in that way so sometimes when I've danced it there's been from year to year like a conversation well is it this on three or is it on four so I want to dig a little bit into that beginning like da, 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 like you're talking about the 16 girls in line yeah. how did you like you're talking about singing how are you bringing that in and making sure everybody is together at the same moment well you mean from a standpoint of performing it or a standpoint of staging it staging it okay okay so for serenade I suggest listening very strongly because the musicality really is working I just recently told the dancers that their partner now is the conductor because oh, I love we, that. we rehearsed to recording And I warned them throughout the process for weeks that when we hear the music, it will be different. I want no one to move until they hear Mm -hmm. the sound of that violin. So that stillness in the, in the, this, well, we call it the fast girls. Now I changed it from Russian girls to fast girls because we were close to Ukraine and it's weird to say Russian girls. So, but you know, the, the slow part, of that movement. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No one moves during silence. 
And that's how we all do. So there are no counts for that slow stuff, especially the elegy. Man walks in right. and listens for that. So we have to sing it. We have to apply high notes. The girls run in, up, oh, scream. It sounds like a scream. It's Thank difficult you. Yes. That part, that part you're talking about then when the girls, yeah, 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 we, yeah, that yeah. was a whole conversation that we would have all the time. It's like, when is it? And you're yeah. right. There's like a clear moment in the music and you just, yes, the, the final up, but everybody waits two clumps, you know, they're just like waves of music. And sometimes it's difficult to count, but sometimes you have to count before an entrance, of course, mm-hmm. you know, so well, it all just depends, doesn't it? It's like, it's so fun. Like I, I have that feeling too, where it's like, when I was staging Ballet, which is very gorgeous, melodic, easy music to hear, but it's like, and so you know, to stage it, they don't—they've never heard the music before. I mean, at least with this score, it's not a famous, popular score. It's not often done, and so it's like I have to count it, but then I'm like very reticent to do it because, you know, you really should be listening and you should be reacting to the music it just depends on what you're talking about you know it's like sometimes Stravinsky gets so thorny if you don't count you're going to fall apart but then sometimes you really just want to hear those gorgeous melodies and be like enveloping yourself in that would you ever find sometimes like when you were learning a ballet from a repetitor that you would get all these counts and then almost like the next day you would hear the music for the first time do you know what I mean like you were just so thinking in your head of the counts, counting yeah that then like you almost didn't even hear the music at all until like a few days later right and then like you're saying then you're not listening and reacting yeah really important to listen and Balanchine would you know tell us to move da 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 he would show it that way that's your down. He would show it that way. And we had wonderful pianists. So we would be able to start from any place. Their score was completely marked. So we spent right. very little time finding the beginning, you know, so, right. so we were efficient, hyper, hyper time is money, of course. And, you know, like, like first group, second group in class, there's no slow walking. You must've heard this. You're out there. And like one group right. finishes and he said, and, and you're there for the next group. Wow. It was fast, fast, fast life. Yeah. Right. So what was the experience like then? So it seems it was very quick and a little chaotic pulling the Stravinsky Festival together, yeah. but what was the actual performance week like? Well, it, it just flew by. It just yeah. flew by. And um, now that I'm reading the book, apparently a lot of the costumes weren't ready. <laughs> yes, I want to say what book you're referring to so that our listeners yes. know. Mr. B, the book called Mr. B. From Jennifer Holman. Jennifer Holman. And you know, she's worked on this for 10 years. So it's right. really, I'm finding it interesting. Behind the scenes stories like this costumes weren't ready. The set wasn't ready. I didn't know any of this stuff. We were just really? upstairs putting on makeup and doing what we're supposed to do. Right. And it's almost better if you're not swept into all the drama. We were right. protected from behind the scenes drama and financial and crises. Um, and Balanchine was very involved in everything the mm-hmm. hair, the makeup, the headpiece. You'd see him on stage before performance and telling a girl, you know, I think your lipstick's a little too dark for you. Um, he worked with the lighting, he had separate gels for each ballerina, a lavender for one and a different color. He, and of course we've heard about him in the costume shop with Karinska and suggesting this and that they work together. He was everywhere in that building. 
He was in the pit with the musicians. That's unheard of now. I, I don't go in the pit with musicians, but I try. When we first have tech rehearsals with live music, I stand with the conductor and I and I graciously greet all the musicians because they're our partners. Right. We're working oh. together. Yeah, essential. Yeah. They're essential, yeah. huh? Yeah, that's so cool. That's so interesting. I wonder if there's anything else that you've kind of taken, like you're just mentioning um, as a repetitor, you take that moment to make sure you're in, you know, connecting with the orchestra. Is there anything else you kind of bring in from Balanchine? Um, yeah. I'm sure of many things. Yeah. When I teach, I warn the dancers in advance that I'm strict, but kind. <laughs> so they know. So I'll yeah. be demanding, but I'm not brutal. Mm -hmm. um, and I make them do it. I, I can't see it. You know, some places, there, there are different cultures. Every studio you walk in, you can feel it's a different culture. They do it differently. Right. Not bad or good. It's just different. And right. when I'm here, the few weeks I'm here, I would like to see full out. Mm -hmm. I really would like if people wear point shoes, for instance, so they can do the releves that these technical things ask for. Mm -hmm. right. uh, and I, I need, um, I need to see it. And then I don't do it over and over. I don't overwhelm. But I had to do some switches um, in, in the past. You know what? Somebody's in front. She just can't. The cheese grater in Serenade where they're crossing. I don't know why mm -hmm. we call it that. They're crossing. And it's kind of hard. You have to rise on one foot releve. You step forward into a, a demi kneeling, not all the way to the floor. That back foot comes under you and you push. Oof, yeah. And That'll you blow out your them. hamstring in a second, that section. <laughs> well, you've got to have strong glutes to look, go down and up. You have to have mm -hmm. strong releve to rise up from one foot and come down gently um, and then keep the lines, of course. Uh -huh. It's it's not easy, and we rehearse that a lot, lot, lot. Well, one girl I wasn't looking out for, she was right in front, and she was not so graceful. So I had to switch. And it reminded me of a story of, of something I watched. We were doing Joseph in the Flood. It was a big ballet of Balanchines. It was uh, biblical. And he worked with Kermit Love and had these beautiful sets and costumes made. And all the animals were depicted in these beautiful, these wooden like things. And kids from the school would lift it and come in from the wings. And there were peacocks and giraffes and ostriches and beautiful animals and dolphins. But nobody, you know, the kids were in the wings and I was out front watching because I wasn't in it, uh, the rehearsal. And no one told the kids where to stand. They just said, take one of these things and walk on stage. And the kids enter and Balanchine screams, no, 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 no. Pigs in the back. Because <laughs> 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 there was, a, <laughs> you know, we want to showcase the more beautiful animals. And <laughs> That's so funny. That became one, you know how you get these phrases when you're in a company and it's like it's a catchphrase you use a lot. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Thanks in the back. That's so good. I want to run back to that moment in Serenade, though. So it's like this, the corps de ballet in a big V does a sunu, so a turn and then goes down and then comes up to a tondu. And the both sides of the stage alternate. So one side is spinning while the other one's down. So Michael and I were talking about this because in um, Miami City Ballet, we went all the way down to our knee on that yeah. moment. And then came back up and you said that you just go half kneeling. I'm wondering, because it's just so interesting to hear about the different versions and how kind of things have evolved or changed because going halfway down sounds so much better than bringing your knee <laughs> all the way to the ground. Well, quick. yes, it depends on the tempi. Right. Right. Okay. So if it's fast, then it starts to look comical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you want them to do a soft gesture. Also, it depends on their training and strength. You know, the, you sacrifice, they go to the knee, but then you hear these knees land and then getting up looks effortful. Maybe yeah. make it a nice gesture coming forward. And the push, by the way, the story is that was inspired by some musical uh, vaudeville uh, British artist. So we had the the, the costume master, Duck, Ducky Copeland, Mm-hmm. And Balanchine both knew about this. And gosh, I could even shoot you the link if I find it. There was this woman who did these amazing dances around her house and she would chenet and spin and kick her leg. And then this big, glamorous push back bend. And this legend was inspired that because the push. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. That's so funny. You know, now, like, it's so interesting. Well, we're both reading the book. Mr. <laughs> um, and I'm not quite to the section yet about Vera Zorina, who's his third wife. But now when you when you because uh, obviously we're, our listeners can't see us, but I'm looking at you and I'm seeing you do this gesture. And it's ma- reminding me of the I, th- I guess it's on your toes movie, yeah. but it's with with Vera Zorina. And it's very different choreography than the slaughter that we see on stage. But she does that exact same gesture over and over. Yes. And yes. Like and then that would have been the time probably the Balanchine first um became aware of this like vaudevillian moment. And I love that. And that's also this around the same time of Serenade. Oh, yeah. We love it. The connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and 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 it's interesting that Balanchine was so out there. He was doing Broadway, he was doing film. There are photos of him with the director figuring out excellent angles for the dance and lighting. He also choreographed for elephants. You know this story, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Will you tell us that yes. for the, our listeners who don't? Yes. So he, I, this is the legend. I wasn't there, but the legend is that he <laughs> in came, the 30s. <laughs> yeah, I was old but not that old. He he goes to Igor Stravinsky and says, "We need um, something for twelve elephants." <laughs> and then I think there's some embellishment of like they're very cute elephants or something. But yeah, that yeah. circus polka. That circus book, right. that it really was for elephants. But Balanchine was out there. He was in museums. He was seeing film. He was reading books. And he drew from the world. 
into, which made it so rich and varied. And Serenad has those famous sculptures, mm-hmm. Canova's Kiss. Mm-hmm. And he would send us, when we traveled, when we toured, he would say, you should go to the Louvre and go to this and go see that. And in Copenhagen, this is what you should do. One night we were all going out to some um, drag bar <laughs> and saw one leg peg. And he talked to us about, look at the hands, because he knew that people that were doing entrevest drag shows, the men had hyper-studied the hands to be beautiful and soft and elegant. Wow. That's so wild. <laughs> so wild that he knew that. Mm-hmm. Right. He was yeah. checking them out, too, finding out what was going on in there, getting inspired Notice every which hands. corner. Hands are soft, and, and they're so important. We look at hands, you know, I tell the dancers, no one cares how many crunches you do, what they see. <laughs> no, the, I mean, I that's that. but what they see are the peripheral. They see your hands, yeah. they see your feet, they see your eyes, your gaze. They don't eyes. care about what you did to get on stage. They want right. to see eyes. I know eyes, the, you know, the looking down, it looks sad. Don't look down. Don't look up. It's weird. Just... <laughs> Level, horizon. Yeah, just level. Like, yeah. Promenade and serenade where he has to turn her twice. Um, mm-hmm. Right. Like a swizzle stick. And I tell her to just like um, a lighthouse. The mm-hmm. eyes be like a lighthouse, just going around. Don't stop anywhere. Don't go up yeah. or down, just out. So important. And you can always tell when eyes aren't focused, right? Like, yeah, something's missing. So yeah, it just really takes you out of it. I know that's what I would always tell my students too, is that, you know, the majority of the audience doesn't know if you executed a step perfectly technically, but they do know if you make a face that you're uncomfortable or you did it wrong, like they will feel that, you know? So it's like so much of exactly like you're saying, just like rounding out the edges and that last little right. finesse there in the eyes. Yeah. It's just so important. Right. Or just own it. They don't know that you fell off a pirouette. So you totally. just commit to the ending. I'm done. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Like, it's like, makes me think of Jeanette Delgado, <laughs> like when she did, what was it in, um, in, th- in variations. Oh, or that. Yeah. Well, we, Jeanette she did like was, this was, grand jeté and she landed and completely fell in a solo on her, on her tiny and sat down <laughs> and just did this gorgeous port de bra. Like she was like, I meant to sit down after my, oh and my we were God. all just like, cause you know, we were all like townspeople sitting around and we were like, I know you could do, you could do a whole episode on falls. Yes. I mean, we've all <laughs> we been should. there. We should we've all been there. I, I was a Demi in, um, Jewels, diamonds, and I'm running around. It wasn't even a hard step. Fast runs, though. Yeah, yeah. And I go down, and of course, in my memory, it's like I'm facing like legs akimbo to the audience. (laughs) (laughs) And then the worst part is when you hear the uh, gasp of 2,000 people. Of course, yeah. And then you know, you get up, you know, there are 2,000, well, 4,000 eyes on you now. <laughs> That's so, so good. true. Uh, I remember one time seeing. I guess the stage must have been super slippery, but I think it was Brahms. Schoenberg was going, and I forget what was before it. But over the course of the performance, there were three falls, and and when the when the by the time the third person fell, like someone in the audience literally said, like out loud, they were like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> <laughs> oh, enough already! 
imagine hearing that like you're the well, third yes. fall and you hear someone just you know you don't see the audience and you just hear applause and and fortunately <laughs> in in new york state theater they they were very um they would just clap they wouldn't boo they wouldn't hiss you know like some places in the world where they make their thoughts and feelings known yeah even opera gets more more bombastic response mm-hmm. But what's right. really weird is when you hear the audience do things like um, we don't you, you don't usually hear them. But then you do when you fall. You hear that or oh, first yeah. is when somebody's replaced. OK. And then, ladies and gentlemen, oh, tonight's yeah. performance. Um, so and so will replace Misha Baryshnikov. Oh, the worst. I, and you oh. have to go out there and, and dance for them. Awful. I know. And I've been in the audience sometimes that happen. And I'm, I'm just like, people, like, keep it in, keep it to yourself. We're like, not kindergartners now. Someone still has to dance, whether you're disappointed or not. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that, well, I mean, that used to be now at City Ballet. It's I, well, because they changed to block programming. So I think injuries and um, emergencies just are a lot less frequent. But it used to be to me as a student, I would like that would be someone's break. Like, I remember... Yeah. Like if they, because if they didn't have the slip of paper, if they had to do an announcement, that meant it was really last minute, very, and that that it was going to be something crazy and exciting. Like I remember there was this core dancer I liked, her name was Carrie Lee Riggins, and she got thrown into Who Cares and Fourth Moment Bize, like Who Cares Principal. I think it was the Turning Girl, but it was like both times it was an announcement, and we were like, oh my god, Carrie Lee, like she must have learned it in like an hour, you know, yeah. probably you know at like seven o'clock you know, in, in the main hall, like going, like having the ballet mistress teach the steps. And then she has to do it right then with no rehearsal at all. Like she wasn't even covering it. Yeah. Right. That sort right. of thing. I know that's yeah. definitely like Ashley Bowder doing Firebird. It was that situation. I always thought it was fun. So when, when the people were like, Oh man, <laughs> I just, I think that's silly. Well, I think it's fun been- for you. But if you've ever been dragged out of the elevator leaving during intermission, no, no, come back up here. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Tell us a story like that. We want to hear. Yeah, yeah. Scotch <laughs> Symphony. And I'd done one side of it and then I was over uh, and I was out of it. I was no longer in the core and I was leaving the building and they caught me and brought me back up to my place in the dressing room while Rosemary stood there during the intermission mission and told me verbally everything and then you grab Peter's hand and then you look for so-and-so and I think it was the other side even while yeah. someone was doing my hair while I was doing my makeup and um, then of course a quick run run through the hard parts on the stage right before and people are in the wings talking to you mm-hmm. but that's not fun no it's <laughs> not fun if you have a level of professionalism <laughs> Do you know what I liked? I would be that person. I was like the swing person for like snow or flowers that it would be like if something happened, they would put my second cast in or like my other cast and then I would be the one that would. And I loved that. That was fun for me because it's like when you know snow and flowers so well, it's like a puzzle to figure out like a different like, you know, all the parts. But if it was something that I hadn't done in a while, I oof, no, thank you. That sounds terrible. That's because you're (laughs) smart. And not all people can do that and reverse their brain in that way. So they trusted you. But speaking of Nutcracker, mm-hmm. you guys know about New Year's Eve, right? I don't know if they still do this. They don't do it anymore. I, I did. I was, they were still doing it when I was a student. And so I got to see some of the New Year's Eve okay, Nutcrackers. So for your listeners that don't know what we're talking about on New Year's Eve, um, in the New York City Ballet, we did like six weeks of, of Nutcracker. And it was two casts. And inevitably, I was 
paired with someone who suddenly had some uh, vague, you know, stress fracture and had to go recover with their parents in Fort Lauderdale for the rest of the run. And I had to do everyone. It felt like that. It made yeah. me crazy. You know, after years of Nutcracker, the music doesn't make you happy. It's hard, hard, hard. But anyway, New Year's Eve, you, um, we would change things. There's a little mischievous things. Like in party scene, there would be real chocolates. Um, I never saw it, but legend has it. The maid once brought out drinks for the grown-ups. <laughs> Um, and snowflakes, we would wear mittens or little things. And then, of course, every year, Robert Irving, the conductor, would come out after the intermission um, to start second act, and he was wearing a mouse head. <laughs> and people bought tickets way in advance. This was like an event. What would they do? Ooh, you That's know, right. what, three cavaliers, you know, for one ballerina, which they did that a lot. But we, we, the, we, the flowers would go up to main hall and replace first. We'd replace the bure circle. Cause yuck, who hate, who wants oh, to do bure circles? Thank you. <laughs> and so we turned it into like four T's, you know, we would, we would change choreography um, and, and do fun things, which we, we thought was fun, but we'd always get the stern message by, um, Ronnie Bates was the stage manager and he would do that. Now we're all grownups and professionals here, you know, before the, <laughs> and we don't like contact each other. We're still doing this, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Don't check it out. Yeah. <laughs> You're with us, right? <laughs> so were there any, like, did like changing the choreography feels a little dicey. Was that ever, was there ever like stern talkings to afterwards? Like that was too much or it was just, they let you go for it. How fun. It was just we would that have, one night. Yeah, we just, would have been murdered. In oh, Miami murdered. What, we, oh. I mean, we used to get in trouble for doing like my silly things in mice. Mm -hmm. You're like, you're disrespecting yeah. balance sheet. I'd be like, actually, Jerry Crager, that. So <laughs> we used to have to do stuff like that in rehearsals. Like one of our favorite, our last snow rehearsal, we would always do lip gloss snow, we would call it. And we'd all put lip gloss on and see how many snowflakes we'd kept <laughs> on our lips. <laughs> No. And so then you realized our... it was really disgusting because all that snow had fallen like multiple times on the run and was on was the ground totally and now it's on your For head. our listeners, snow is actually fireproof coated confetti, white, that is sprinkled from above and then dumped at the end. And towards, towards the beginning of the run, it's fluffy, light, white snow. And then, then you start to hear things around you like earrings, uh, broken bobby light bulbs, bobby pins, you hear things drop, you know, <laughs> not tools, but, you know, things, and they sweep yeah. it up, put it upstairs, and it's the next run. And then also you have to run around with your mouth closed, because if you get one in your throat, you, you're gagging. Oh, it's over. Or in your eye, like a, like a eyelash. Yeah. Yes. Oof. They would yeah. get caught in your face. And then you can't, you're running, but you can't really run because it's slippery. Right. They're dressed right. no towards the end where yeah. and you hear them, you know, after the boom, da, 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 and you hear yeah. the stage hand, dump it, Joey, you know. No. <laughs> no. Please. Yeah. And the last show they love to do it because they don't want to have to put it all, like take it all out of the thing. So they dump all of it the last show. And you're like, right. And Seriously. All but, right. We're getting yeah. sidetracked. We want to come back to your career. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> come back to end, though, but we right. got to get back to it's fun talking. <laughs> I had a career. I was with the New York City Ballet. I know. I know. It's <laughs> I want to talk about um, your work that you're doing now as a repetitor, because, of course, this is something that's of interest to us, of interest to Michael. And of course, being a repetitor for the Balancing Trust is something extra special. So tell us about how that role came about for you and how you 
um, were asked to participate mm-hmm. in that way. Okay. So um, I retired. Mr. B died in 83 and I did another season, but I was 30. I was feeling not tidy and in shape and leotard ballets were stressful because you feel gross. And I just wasn't, I wasn't jumping and dancing as well as I used to. And I didn't want to be one of those people. And then I fell in love and married a wonderful photographer with National Geographic and had a family. So I stopped, I retired and really for the first time in my life could sleep and eat all I wanted to and raise (laughs) boys. And that was wonderful. And then they were in school and then Then I wanted to be back in the world of ballet. Um, So what did I do? I started shadowing Vicki Simon. I wanted to do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was just a walking storehouse of ballets and stories and information. And I felt like that's valuable. I want to do this too. Um, And some ballets are easier to stage than others, of course. And there's some people associated with ballets, like Sandy Jennings has done this the longest and she knows every ballet. And then what happens is relationships form with companies and they want that person back. So you have right. certain areas like right now I look like the Baltic serenade queen because I staged serenade <laughs> in, in um Estonia uh in 2020 and then I just staged serenade in Latvia uh 2022. And they have that wacky scheduling where they license it for 3 or 5 years and it appears they did premiere weekend. And I think they're doing one today, actually, the 16th of November, and then nothing until next year. (laughs) And so you leave it the best you can, you'd cast it, you've got people and you, but you know, the job is now the ballet mistress to keep it tidy, to bring it back. Um, It's not easy, but you do the best you can. Mm -hmm. So how did I get to do this? I don't know. I just you just started doing it. You just do it. I I shadowed Vicki Simon for Serenade Houston Ballet, and she was wonderful. And it's a very supportive group. Like everyone is happy to share if you have questions about costumes or is this a B plus? And you're given videos to study, and sometimes you get more confused. You remember it one way, but they're doing it right. another way. And then you talk to someone when you were dancing it and say, "We did this right," and they'll. Sandy's always great because we dance together. So she's like, you remember Mr. B wanted that. Um, and there are different generational versions and we don't right. like to even use the V word. You know, there's just, you just go with it. And when you really relax and want to leave the most beautiful version of a Balanchine ballet, you you use logic. Like what foot would she land on? Well, what's what's the next step? Right. Mr. B would, of course, want it to be fluid and comfortable, like a comfortable loafer, I say, like your Hmm. favorite shoe. You just don't, you know, you work hard in class, but on on stage wasn't the time to be uncomfortable. That was when you wanted to really apply your solid technique to a beautiful dance. So that is how we talk to each other. And Vicki Simon was great about telling me, things. And I would ask her, so I got a few serenades and that's the dream ballet to teach. And the dancers love dancing it. And when you go to a foreign land, like Latvia had never performed Balanchine in its hundred year history. And they've just heard about Balanchine. They they didn't even see Balanchine. Nobody goes to Latvia and performs Balanchine. Some of these dancers might've guested and done like Tarantella somewhere at a gala. Right. Um, And 
I don't know who they learned it from. They sometimes tell me, sometimes don't. But it was a special occasion and they were scared. You know, they were they were intimidated. And I, I told them how it works because it's sort of like nobody knows how it works. A company wants to perform Balanchine. So the first step is they contact the trust and set up a dialogue. And questions are asked. How big is the company? How big is your house? What, you know, what's your season? What's your, what's your programming like? And then they want to see videos. The trust wants to see videos of the core, the company. Um, and then if they make the cut, there's discussion on what they can do and da, 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 da. I'm not part of that. That's, that's, um, the trust has the trustees that do all that. Mm-hmm. And then someone is sent out. You get that email you love seeing like, so-and-so has been cleared to do so-and-so in this period of time, and would you be interested? And you're like, yes, and yes, and yes, and yes, send me, send me. Because we love it. We love doing it. It's yeah. it's just a heady experience to bring Balanchine to a country that's never had it. Right. The orchestra, the dancers, the audience, they all just get what this abstract business is. This is totally new to them. Like right. there's no fog there are no flowers there's no baskets there's there's no crown there's no story and during rehearsals i tell them it's super important first of all i tell them you you're allowed to do it not everyone is so you guys are good enough don't worry about that they're <laughs> a little intimidated yes sure, right yeah we had to work hard to get to those releves on one foot and coming down on one foot rolling through feet mm-hmm. and we had to do a few pigs in the back you know like move things around <laughs> to make it really beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a nice so cool. thing for them to understand just pure music and movement. And the conductor was beautiful man. And I let him do some tempi that he really wanted to do. And towards the end of that last thing where everyone's walking back slow and then they, and he started doing runaway train on us oh, like no. faster and faster. <laughs> uh-huh. And then after that run through, I came up to the dancers. I said, I'm sorry, you know, that's really fascinating. They said, no, keep it in. We love it. Oh, they yeah. never moved that fast. And they right. were great. You know, it's a very so exciting fun. thing. It's so fun. Yeah. It's so, so fun. Yeah. In that, this sort of situation, are you able to um, request or demand uh, <laughs> to teach, to teach, to, to sort of ease the process? You know, if you if dancers familiarize themselves with the style and technique at the beginning of the day, then it makes your rehearsal period more productive. Sure, sure. Well, yeah, if the dancer actually takes class, you know, not everyone takes right. class. We see some different, different um like I was saying before, all the cultures vary. Sure. Right. Company cultures vary. So you can pick up right away whether they're happy or they're living under a, a dictator. You know, you can you can sense things that you know you mm-hmm. and I do like to teach. Usually I'm allowed to teach a class or more. Um mm-hmm. I like to teach, but they have their crew, they have their people on payroll to teach. So it's not right. really welcome you're so so now taking over all your classes no they don't right i can understand how that works but i do like to explain these things um like you know you know the blueberries in serenade you know where the girls do double done them many times you have done <laughs> the it boys yeah the boys, the boys. so the way it is is a double pirouette and arabesque in one count mm-hmm. and that's a stanley thing one 
Yeah. You take off and do one and no paddling. I told the men, let her do that and stop her. And this was a totally unique experience for them. They're like, what? And I had to go around and have all the girls show me double pirouette. First of all, that was like, stay up on the leg. Okay. Right. Right. Spot. And, and do it faster, take off faster, da, 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 go around, make everyone. Do. Then the men just step forward and catch her. Maybe if she's slow, make sure she's on time. Right. But these are unique things. And through that, they learn and they learn a dodge. The men learn how, you know, this, you could see this was a learning experience for the dancers. They didn't know how to do, or they were doing double pirouettes in the studio. Let's throw some of them out there on, on the stage. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh-huh. When you're kind of allotting how much time you need to set a ballet, and Michael and I have talked about this before because I find it interesting how you guys kind of plan all this out because, of course, you have X amount of time. you got to get it done. Do you try to advocate for more time when you're dealing always, with always. dance? Yeah. Always. Time is money, but that's not always possible. And the trust is very good about getting like priority hours. You know, if you have some choreographer tinkering and playing, all right, well, we're not going to share time with him. He's, you know, go do that. We need to do this and not Mm -hmm. to be too formulaic. And it depends on the ballet, but we say roughly an hour, a minute. Right. So say Serenade's 30 minutes long. I'll need 30 hours. And Sandra Jennings, again, helped me understand how to break that Mm -hmm. down. You know, who needs more time? You're going to want this and then add the waltz couple for the last hour, you know, just stuff that takes years and you figure this out, but Save right. a lot of everybody's time. If you know in advance, we're going to need the extra time for the fast girls and, you know. Right. Right. Yeah. Elegy, uncountable elegy. They just have to hear the music. And it's interesting. Everyone's heard Serenade the Waltz, but not everyone's familiar with elegy. Right. Yeah. Well, the so elegy funny. is most, well, it's not as singable or melodically yes. yeah. strong, but it's it's my favorite section by oh, far. You don't hear it on the radio, so that's it. Right. Sure. Like, yeah, right. that's true. That's true. Vicky, is there a ballet that you would love to stage that you've not gotten to do yet? Tombow. Oh, I love Tombow. Who does I did that in my, in my workshop. Yeah. It's, it's the most funny. beautiful ballet, and I was an original, and it. It's the music still brings me tears. You know, it was written, Ravel wrote it in honor of four of his friends that were lost in World War One. And they're all reflect the personality of that person. And yeah, and I love dancing it. Oh, yeah, that was beautiful. And it would be so nice for companies to have a core ballet, you know, I mean, Serenade's a core ballet, but this has no principle. Right, right. So I'm not sure that's going to happen. There are a lot of um, variables on these things. There are a lot of factors that make a ballet suddenly trending. You know, now you see jewels everywhere. And now they're Pillsbury pull-aparts. You can have just one of the three jewels. I don't, you know, you can do that. Right. Uh, I've staged other things. Waltz Fantasy is really fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fortis. um, Gosh, I learned Western to teach in Russia. I told you the story, Michael. I was supposed uh-huh. to go to stage. Ah, you Western. did. You did. I didn't realize it was Western, right? Yeah. Go it ahead. was Sorry. Western and I learned, and it's a big one, but I, yeah. I was in two of the four movements. So I, but you know, you just because you're in it, you don't know everybody's part. So right. that is the challenge. And it takes like weeks and weeks to sit down with the videos. And I, everyone has their own system. There's no right or wrong, but you write it out 
and just know that every night before going into rehearsal, you can boom, this many hours are in your brain, in your body. Um, But I was supposed to stage Western Symphony in Eastern Russia, the Ural Opera and Ballet had gotten the rights and I was supposed to, the premiere was March 9th of this year. And I, you know, I studying the ballet, but also I'm watching the news and, Mm -hmm. um, and I wasn't feeling comfortable about going. I was watching that there's something coming and I contacted my, like the producer over there, the woman that was taking care of everything. And I didn't say anything more like a question, you know, like, so are we still doing this? Like, you know, this is still on something of that nature. And and she, it was a woman, she said, what are you talking about? We made 50 costumes and we got your visa and we bought your. Well, they've seen different news too. They're not seeing our news. Right. Right. So that's when I went to the trust and said, <laughs> yeah. And and so what, what was the outcome? Like the trust well, was like, we get it. And they're like, of course, if you're not yeah. comfortable with, oh yeah, they support us that, you know, yeah, you yeah. would never be forced to go. And no, no, it was but I just very- mean like, how did that work then? Sorry, I asked the wrong question. Like, how did it work then telling Russia, like this is done, you know? Didn't ask. I got a little bit traumatized by the whole experience because first of all, now my calendar was empty for like months. Sure. Right. It was no work and there's no way of like salvaging that and finding other right. work. And also had the premiere been, you know, the war broke out on the 24th of February. So had right. the you premiere been, been a few weeks, I would have been there. And they were, they were closing embassies and, and stopping oh, flights. I would have, fine. it scared me. So I didn't want to know how they handled it. They yeah. just, you know, took care of it for you. It's more than a bu- bullet dodged. That's like yeah. a, a like a whole ballet bullet. Bus. Yeah, I don't know. yeah. So that is Western, which I learned, and I'm going to be staging that in Oklahoma City in 2023. Oh, great. Yay. Okay. And then, so it wasn't wasted time. <laughs> no, it wasn't wasted time. And also, I mean, if there's like anti Western sentiment and you're over in Siberia staging cowboys and yeah. show saloon girls, a little, yeah, yeah. a little off. Yeah. It was a choice, huh? <laughs> it was a choice. It was, you know, I don't pick the ballets. I just get sent somewhere and stage it and, right. and work with the dancers. And I love doing that. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. so many ballets, but you do see suddenly Fortis is everywhere. Suddenly mm-hmm. everyone's doing another one. There's yeah, it is, it, there are trends always. Yeah, it's, it's funny right. how that works. And yeah. then if we start seeing pull-aparts, like, you know, Jewels, can we start doing that with like Brahms Schoenberg, which is a oh, big ballet? We love Brahms. I was dancing under the name of Vicky Bromberg and I called myself Bromsberg because I love Brahms. <laughs> I just anything with Brahms, you know, and Liebes Leader. Oh. Brahms is, um, I, I think it's, I understand why it doesn't get done enough. It's because it's such a huge cast, but you're right. What if maybe I, at one time at SAB workshop, they only did third and fourth movements. Maybe that's a possibility because they are mini ballets unto themselves. They're they're so beautiful. Each of them. If you look I, at I like love it. Tchaikovsky, Tchaikovsky number three, that was like theme and variations, but these three little moody, barefoot, hair down mm-hmm. things that are just uh, beautiful, beautiful Tchaikovsky things. Um, the trust allows a lot of usage of ballets in unconventional ways, like uh, for educational purposes, for instance, right. uh, schools. And universities ask to do serenade. And if the trust feels they're not strong enough, they'll suggest up until the diagonal. 
that oh. for educational purposes. Right. Yeah. 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 No, they, they very much want Balanchine to be performed. It's not like Fort Knox and no one's allowed. Right. It's definitely for the public, but Mm -hmm. they want to maintain the quality of the delivery. Yeah, of course. Yeah. If you have a few more minutes, I wanted to delve a little bit into the book, Mr. B, because we were talking about it before we recorded. We're going to be having Jennifer Homans. Hopefully we're in talks to have her on the pod. So we're going to really get into it. But Michael's reading it. I'm about to start it and you're reading it. So I want to hear what you guys are finding out. Some of the things that have surprised you. And Vic, you said you kind of started reading a little bit before the time that you would have joined the company. So tell yes. us what you kind of found that's interesting. Yeah. So I found out that Pam Tig and then the next year was like Stravinsky Festival and then the mm-hmm. trips to Russia and I and I was there. So I'm like, oh, yeah, there were parts I forgot. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that guy got beat up um, because somebody took on a Russian lover and they're not allowed to do things like that. The, you know, it, it was crazy, mind blowing. But about the book, about the book. I watched the live stream from City Center the other night. Did you watch mm-hmm. that or it's still available? Was, I have it, to find out it? if it's still available. Alistair yeah. did it. I saw he tweeted it about is. it, but and it was Lourdes. like after it happened. Lourdes. Yeah. And then Adrian did, they did Agon Pa and they did um, Sanguinic. There was dance. It was beautiful. But um, one of the opening salvos was about women and Balanchine's treatment of women and and this, that, this, that. And I, I hear a lot of discussion about Balanchine and women. Um, and had this come out years ago when she started work on it, we would have been talking more about Balanchine, the creator. And now our culture has shifted its gaze onto um, cultural context. Yep. So right. art in cultural context. And um, I find it in, unfortunate because we were just going wow about all the wonderful things he's done. But a lot of people now think, well, were they lovers? Did they have a child together? You know, this is where people are going with um, the wonderful Balanchine stories. Um, mm-hmm. And it's salacious, of course, but the book is wonderful because it has so much context and she's such an archive archivist. She just delves deep into people's, I mean, notes and memoirs. And and then in the back, Michael, are you looking at where she has her notes and, and, I haven't explored that yet, but I, I mean, I, you see how much, obviously it's like, she's not just pulling like, you know, no, you, when, she's interviewing, has been interviewing people for years. And I'm curious, like who said that? You know? <laughs> right, 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 right. Right. Who, said that? who told you that? I, and then there it is. I, <laughs> I, I'm still at the, uh, like, I mean, I think I'm 150 pages in. So Balanchine at this point is in Paris and Berlin and London and Copenhagen. And so we're, I'm, getting all of that story i'm pretty you know fairly familiar with the diaghilev stuff is interesting but it's stuff that i've heard before but what i found really compelling was the early life and it's just i mean i knew some of this but it just really impresses on you how dark his childhood was you know like eating rats and like dodging bullets in the streets and like basically nearly starving to death while still achieving his ballet and musical education and and just the hardship that he went through and it really does have such a good job of explaining who he became as an artist like all of that context really has helped reshape how i think of him and i think it's interesting i've always been curious about this politically like where balanchine 
stands politically. Yeah. Like we knew how he voted and like the things that he didn't like or whatever. But um, I think they do that. That upbringing also explains it. Like this sort of czarist fantasy. Yes. You know yes. what? He, you know he he would have known that those things were problematic and it's not like a war just sprung out of of nothing but the, like the skepticism that he had towards communism or like socialism and and how that because the bolsheviks took his existence from him and like how that would shape him for from then on yes well he was very young very interesting yeah he was young he was in the school i mean he was like a kid and i heard this from danilova too they were like little dolls dressed and groomed and they educated in french and music and and ballet and and beautifully you know they were the little dolls of the czar and tsarina and some minister would come and watch class and they were clothed in beautiful things and then they noticed i heard this from danilova they noticed the decline suddenly there was not such good food right. suddenly they were cold and I don't know who told me this about tearing up the wooden uh, studio floors for firewood. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So they were resourceful. And then Balanchine, highly perceptive, noticed that there's some kind of hypocrisy in what, you know, this is a better world. Is it really? Right. Um, and speaking of politics, you know, the beautiful patterns in Serenade and a lot of his ballets that are best viewed from the balcony. Right. Mm -hmm. He did this for the Cheap seats for the poor right. people, poor people who couldn't see the ballerina's faces. So let's give them some dazzling kaleidoscopic experience uh, for them, yeah. the cheap seats. Yeah. Another story I would love to tell is Tiny. I looked in the book. She doesn't have the Tiny story. Did I tell you Tiny? Tiny. So. All right. Balanchine walked to work at, at the theater up Columbus Avenue, back and forth, back and forth. And in the 70s, there was still cops. Policemen in New York walking their beat, you know, what they say, burning the shoe leather. They were, you know, New York cops. And there was one that he would see at the same time every day. And they walked together and met and, you know, mm. and he eventually, what do you do? And then they got to the Lincoln Center Balanchine, took him in and showed him what he did. And he had this cop backstage. I remember tiny. And he was called that because he was six foot six or seven. <laughs> and, and Balanchine loved to pair him, like have Penny Duddleston go up on point and, you know, partner her. See, that would be a good partner for her. <laughs> and through this relationship, Balanchine learned that the, the New York City police were low on bulletproof vests. And so we did a benefit to raise money for the bulletproof vests. Wow. That's so cool. How often was he backstage? Was it like just that one time where he would, yeah. Oh, <laughs> it wasn't a fixture for years. There were some characters. Yeah. There was Charlie of the Empire. Nobody knew who he was. He lived in the Empire and he would be at the theater all the time. Do you know about Charlie? Charlie used to, Charlie was still hanging out at SAB when I was there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. People would come. There was this wonderful grand old Russian woman. Um, and someone said she, you know, you didn't know if these were former Tsarinas or something, you know, the mm -hmm. Romanovs. They, but she was a pearl wearer. And I learned about this. Some people have magical oils in their bodies that add luminosity to pearls. Pearls are sensitive to some some magical, I don't know. You know, this is the world uh -huh. of fantasy and, and yeah. legend and lore. And yeah. she always had a lot of pearls. And 
people would lend her their pearls to get luminous. This was one of those people. Like Karinska <laughs> had lavender hair and wore navy right. blue, perfectly tailored skirt suits. Mm-hmm. And she had, it wasn't a walking stick, but it wasn't a cane, but it was a, a staff. She was right. imperial. There were some characters there, but no, Tiny didn't hang out all the time, but he was invited in by Balanchine. That. that was Balanchine being of the city, of the new country. He right. saw how things worked. The city was good to him. He's back good to the city. Right. I'll have to yeah. add an Stars epilogue about that story to the book. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, the book. Listeners will, will read Pick it up, start reading it, because we'll delve deeper into it on the podcast. We'll have Jennifer Holmans on in a couple of weeks, hopefully. That's so, so exciting. She's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so this We're is excited. um, this is it. We finally did it. You have no more questions for me. We could go on None for hours. At all. We could. I know this is so we'll fun, but you have. We'll get you back on another time. Yeah, <laughs> I love oh, I it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have a baby. Who is the baby? Join. I'm like, let's talk ballet. Uh, I know yeah. this is really fun because dancers love to talk about ballet, and you know, I feel like I don't just talk about myself. I see it as a big picture. There's a beautiful world that I was lucky to be part of, and I met wonderful people and danced with wonderful people and saw wonderful places through this wonderful thing that I did. Mm-hmm. And I'm so and grateful. You're, still, you're such an integral part of it still, Vicky. So, well, you know, I'm happy to have you. I'm in my third trimester, as I say, because a lot of our teachers oh, were in their 80s and 90s. So mm-hmm. talk about role models. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, uh, Tumkovsky, who you mentioned earlier, I, she was at the school when I was there and she was in her late 90s. Yes, yes. Yeah, and then, yeah, and then that's a, a, an art that I've had to develop. You can't show anymore. You have to start right. showing your hands more. I don't sit. I I rove around and look at everybody. Right. But I, I'll do an occasional glissade when nobody seems to get. It's one. There it is right. again. It's just that's one. Har- that's maybe the hardest part, right? Glissade is like I don't know. That's very hard to get people to understand who who don't aren't familiar. Who, it's one of the hardest. Right. It yeah. is yeah. hard. These are strange concepts. And, mm-hmm. you know, and we need glissade. Nobody knows how often we use glissade. Men do run, run where there should be a glissade. Right. Run, run. <laughs> they do run, run. I do a podcast run, on run. that too. The run, run. <laughs> oh my God. The list is long of all these little subtle <laughs> mini things, but I'm sure your audience really loves these uh, uh, little micro, micro moments that they get. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. They're all bunheads out there. We love our bunheads. <laughs> Do they communicate with you? Yeah, yeah. We oh, hear yeah. so many great things from people. Yeah, yeah. They're I'm like sure we're gonna get, bunheads. We're going to get a lot of communication about this episode for sure. On Insta? So, on, on Insta or various email. Various platforms, yeah. yeah. People can reach yeah. out to us however they want. We'll always write back. We love it's so great what you guys are doing. Thanks, Vicky. Thank you so much, Vicky. Thank you so much for this episode. We love you and we'll have you back I love on, you. I'm sure. <laughs> 